Yeah. Say hello to the bad guy. Bad guy. The good guy coming last place. Smell that dope when I pass by. I let my money at a fast pace. All right, welcome to Say Hello to the Bad Guy. I'm your host, Locke, and this is the podcast where we drink, smoke, and bullshit about the life of a historic criminal. Now we're talking outlaws and gangsters. We're not going to cover too many serial killers. That's just a little bit dark for me, and this ain't no true crime podcast. Honestly, you can't call this a history podcast because I'm no historian. I'm just a history fan that does some research and bullshits about it with his friends. So speaking of my friends, let me introduce you to my co-host. First with us today, we got DC. What up, do? Then also with us today, we got the Duke, Dan. What up, do? As well. Also here to fourth. <laughs> Not quite as smooth, man. <laughs> we'll kick it off with the drink roundtable. Dan, what do you got to drink today? I got a uh, blood orange haze. From Big Lake Brewing, another uh, local one here in Michigan. It's from Holland. Nice. It's a good one. It's that time of year. I, I've said it on the podcast before, and I'll say it again because I always repeat myself, but uh, this is the year of uh, hazy IPAs, I think. I think we're going to see a lot of the hazy ones. When you just keep saying that like it's a bold statement that somebody else is arguing with. <laughs> Has anyone said it? Has anyone said it? <laughs> For the record, um, <laughs> you know, I try to be record worthy. Uh, what about you, DC? Do you have anything to drink today? Yeah, I pulled out, and I never had it before. I, I saw it in the store and decided to try it. Pendleton whiskey. It is pretty good. It's um, I don't know, like some whiskeys seem to have like a, I don't know. It's like the texture of them is thicker, and they have a little bit different taste. And those are the ones I tend to like. And this whiskey has that, and it's really uh, smooth. I'm pretty much just having it just, you know, maybe a little less than two fingers straight, uh, just cold. So it's it's good. And I know you've tried it before. What are your thoughts on it? You're drinking like a, a dude in the 50s, just a yes. little snort when you walk yeah, in the door. Yeah, you Me. know, just a little, just a little. <laughs> in, um, in my, uh, notice the glass, you know where this came from, right? We went to watch Bugs uh, play football, and when we went to watch him play football, we beer hopped, and uh, I bought a couple glasses and borrowed a glass or two. (laughs) And now now they are podcast staples. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But I do like the Pembleton, but I will say I figured out what it is that you can't put your finger on, what it is you like about it. Mm -hmm. You like Canadian whiskey. Yes, I would say so. Well, that's a Canadian whiskey because you like Crown Royal too. That's like one of your go-to whiskeys if you're like buying, right? Yeah, Crown Black is probably my favorite out there. Yeah, but uh, go to that's a Canadian one because I thought when you showed us the bottle, it said like it was an old Western style whiskey. Yeah, it's got a cowboy on it, but it's a Canadian whiskey. Let's see. Oh, those fucking Canucks! That's that's Western appropriation, is what I say. It does. At the very bottom, it says blended Canadian whiskey. And to your point, Dan, I just saw the the cowboy thing, and I just figured it was from, like, Kentucky or something. I didn't read all the way in the red print by my pinky here. (laughs) 
in that yeah. small print is where it says that it's a Canadian whiskey. Well, by your middle finger, which we all know is the more important whiskey finger, it says in giant bold print, true Western whiskey. So Western I mean, Canada. Yeah, Vancouver whiskey. Hey. Loopholes, you know what I mean? It's on the semantics. So the reason I knew it was Canadian is because I was looking for a Canadian whiskey for my collection that wasn't Crown Royal. Ah. So that's what that's what the game plan was. But I got a not local beer. I got a Yingling Lager. So America's oldest brewery in Pottsville, Pennsylvania. It's so not local, you can't get them around here. You have to drive to a different state to get them. <laughs> it's nice. so not local, we thought you made up the name the first time you said it. <laughs> But I also got this little, uh, my French Connection drinks, the cognac and amaretto that I like. So I'm mixing it up a little bit. Now, today, this one's going to be released fairly soon after we're recording. So yesterday in the Detroit area, it was almost 80 degrees and sunny. And with summer coming, the sun is shining, shirts are off, and your balls are smooth. You heard that right. Your friends at Manscaped are here to make sure your beach balls are smooth as Floridian sand. In the summer, you want to kill some cold beers and barbecues, not kill the vibes with pubes peeking out of your swim trunks. That's why Manscaped has the Performance Package 4.0 to keep the party and your pants looking crisp and refreshing all summer long. So join 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with the code BADGUY. We have the Performance Package 4.0. We also got the ultra premium package, which is kind of like a general hygiene package. So even though it's crucial to not walk around with jungle balls, you know, there's other packages that are available, like just general hygiene type stuff. And you guys got that ultra premium package. What do you guys think of it? I like it a lot. I, I got a new, I don't know if I would call it my favorite product, but it's up there. And that is their body wash. It's really good. You get a good lather, but. It smells good, and the biggest thing that I like about it, and I don't understand why more body washes don't do this, it has the pump action on it. Hell yeah, nobody wants to drop the soap. Exactly. <laughs> so get 20% off and free shipping with the code badguy at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code badguy at manscaped.com. This is the summer to turn your package into the full package with Manscaped. All right. And as always, we got to make sure we take the time to thank Six Bow Swayno for letting us use his music in the intro. We want to thank Cancer for letting us use his music in the mid roll. You can follow them both on Instagram, Six Bow Swayno. It's F O E. Cancer is Cancer the God. The E is a three. You can follow us on TikTok and Instagram at Bad Guy Podcast. And if you're having a hard time finding any of it, you can go to Bad Guy podcast.com and find all the links through there so today's episode is going to be a little bit different we're going to shorten it up a little bit this is going to be kind of a teaser trailer to an episode i had the opportunity to do with the podcast partners in crime who we've talked about on the show before and we've covered a whole bunch of people in chicago and we never covered johnny torrio and partners in crime it's uh bill crooks he's uh he's a good guy he's always been a big supporter of our show he hit me up and uh, he asked me if I wanted to jump on it. And it was kind of, it was the missing piece that we had never covered on our show yet. And so I got a good t a chance to go over there. It was a really good time. It's a good episode. So you can go find that now. It's 
Partners in Crime, just an N, and it's it's a great podcast. They cover all mob guys, and I'm on the Johnny Torrio episode. So we did Chucky the typewriter on the last episode, which was a Chicago guy, and this is going to be another, like a teaser trailer for our episode of Partners in Crime uh, with Johnny Torrio. So the bad guy that we're going to be covering today is James Belcastro. This ain't negotiation time. This is Scarface, final scene, fucking bazookas under each arm. Say hello to my little friend. Now, you know I enjoy the AKA so much. AKA the Matt Bomber, AKA the King of Bombers. Now, that's a big title considering some of the people that we've covered. You know, we've had people put bombs that blew off half of apartment buildings, so... I am interested in this gentleman's story. Yeah, these are good AKAs if you're a hitman. Horrible AKAs if you're a stand-up comedian. <laughs> <laughs> so we don't know much about James Belcastro's youth. He was born in 1895 in Calabria, Italy. Maybe. Either way, at a young age, and we've covered that before, he settles in Little Italy in Chicago as a youth. Yeah, pretty much any time it's, yeah, they were born in another country overseas. Well, they came to New York when they were little. So we're starting in Little Italy or the Lower East Side. Pick pick a spot. That's where, that's where these start. By the early 1910s, he had became a master of building IEDs. He's still a young teenager, but he's got him one skill set. What's an IED? Improvised explosive device. Oh, that's what I was about to come up. Is those own like they definitely weren't called IEDs back in the day. Like that term became a household name strictly because of our wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. If it wasn't for that, nobody would be like, "Is that that shit uh, women use to not get pregnant?" Exactly. That's what I thought it was. (laughs) He's in there blowing up uteruses. That's what happened. DC was very confused. (laughs) So. With this one skill, he was able to take that and turn it into a successful black hand business. Yeah, I mean, that's a lot more threatening than, like, a 12-year-old with a knife. That is, like, a lot of the threats going around. Like, this guy's got fuses and shit. Like, bro, you skipped a few steps. What's happening? Right, one guy, they threw a brick through the window down there. This guy legitimately blew up part of my building. Like, okay, you know what? You're right, it would be a shame if something <laughs> happened to my place. <laughs> and that's a fucked up situation. Something comes scratch through the window and it's a brick. You're like, oh, thank God. I thought it was going to be a bomb. So he builds a, a big black hand business. But in the Chicago area, early on, the black hand made the mistake after going of going for Big Jim Colosimo. So he reached out to Johnny Torrio, who came to Chicago. And he kind of came there to counter the black hand. You know, he knew that kind of racket. He knew how to take care of it. And he started eliminating them pretty quick. And they became the dominant gang in the Chicago area. That's how you do it. You know, you got to go there, establish a few connections, make sure your value is up, it's understood, and, and take over. So as Johnny Torrio starts cleaning up all these black hand operations, what he would do is he'd either kill them off or absorb them. So James Bellacastro is kind of doing his own thing and he keeps just moving his operations away from, you know, Johnny Torrio. And eventually, by the early 1920s, all the black hand operations were either killed off or absorbed. Because now you just have these legit super gangs. The 
Johnny Torrio Capone gang, the Bugs Moran gang. They're these are mafia families basically, and all those small rackets got absorbed. Well, since James had a specialized skill set, Johnny and Al Capone were like, you know what? We think you're an absorb, not a kill type of guy. So he decided to do a, uh, begin doing freelance explosives work for the Al Capone gang. See, life lessons, kids. Get a skill, exactly. and then no matter what happens, you'll find a new place in the new corporation. Make sure you remain valuable. <laughs> yeah. Message! <laughs> So when the Capone gang is looking at who they're going to take in, they're like, well, what do you do? Like, well, I throw I throw bricks through windows. I got a bunch of those. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know what? I got one too many. <laughs> Every motherfucker in Little Italy got a gun. What are you rocking with? Oh, shit. All right. Through the 1920s, he was suspected in over 100 deaths from bombings to saloons that wouldn't buy liquor from Capone. Yeah, it's crazy. And it, what's so crazy, especially about the times, it seems like, I don't know, it just seems like you would have been caught doing that many bombings because bombings are so different than everything else, right? Through history, there's been, you know, guns and everything, there's shootouts and everything. But how many times, like, even if you think us being here in Detroit and growing up in Detroit, Metro Detroit area, how many bombings do you remember? right like bombings that's some serious shit it definitely is i think some of the things that help keep you off the radar with that and i'm glad you brought it up is for one which we're gonna get into a little bit more is the political corruption chicago was one of the most corrupt cities during the prohibition time so they owned so many cops and da's and prosecutors that that made it easy the other thing is a lot of times it's a by the time it goes off, you're far away. And we're talking about a time where the forensics isn't what it is now. So it blows up most of the evidence, and you're long gone by the time it does it. So it was a pretty easy crime to get away with, especially if you knew what you're doing. The risk was blowing yourself up with the bomb. If you knew how to not do that, it was a pretty slick crime. That's that's 90% of it right there. Just don't <laughs> blow yourself up. Exactly. You got that down, you're good. So you mean to tell me they didn't have no ring cameras, no gas station cameras, none of that in the 1920s, no cell phone cameras, nothing? What was their drone situation? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, but another thing that you didn't bring up that uh, this guy seemed to be ahead of the curve, but a lot of mobsters were people that came back from the war, so they were good at violence and everything. In a lot of them, they learned mines and bombs and fuses and all that shit over there. But uh, this guy didn't go to World War One or nothing, so he just sort of dug on bombs. He went his own route and just found the beauty of explosives. Yeah, good point, though. He's just a kid that found him a chemistry set. Look, we cover a lot of guys that if they hadn't found the mob life, they could have been... CEOs or high-powered businessmen or, you know, captains of industry or something like that. But this might be the guy that could have been, like, he could have been a chemist. He could have been on the Manhattan Project or some shit. But, you know, instead he was from Little Italy and started a black hand gang as a teenager. And life takes you where it takes you, man. Yeah, I mean, it's funny how stuff like that goes. If I would have been in a life of crime, I'm pretty sure I would have been a super gun fanatic. When I was a kid... 
I was a gun fanatic, and I had all the BB guns and stuff, like, as a kid. And then I get older, I was like, yeah, I'm going to go and be a nerd and do some tech stuff. Yeah, I think this, I think I got a better chance over here than in Life of Crime. All right, we're going to take a quick smoke break, refill our drinks, and we'll be back in a minute.
All right, we're back. When we left off, James Bill Castro had kind of became a top enforcer for the Chicago outfit, but in a different way than we're used to seeing. He was an enforcer with explosives as opposed to, you know, a guy that's pounding the pavement or, you know, cracking heads or, you know, setting up hits. He had a he was a one-trick pony, but it was a really good trick. He really didn't like confrontation. So he's like, just going to set these up and get away from it before it happens, you know? You don't want to be face-to-face in the middle of a fight or nothing. That's rather just set it and forget it. He was the first mobster introvert. <laughs> like, yeah. no, I, I just do my crimes by myself, nobody around. I, I don't need the attention. See, that was it. He, like, had Asperger's or something, but instead of being into trains, he got into explosives. <laughs> There is something crazy, though. I wonder how true that cliche is, because, I mean, in pop culture and shit, we always see it where, like, whenever there's a heist gang or whatever, the explosive guy is always the one who's just a little more off than everyone else. Not more violent, like like the sneaky guy that will stab people in the neck. That guy's clearly the more violent one. But the explosive guy, he's always a little bit off. He's always the first one to be like, well, here, let's just, like, he's always got a match to the fuse, ready to go. I wonder if there's any truth to that. Like, if this guy was crazier than the gunfighter people in some way. Because he was thinking, especially Chicago at that time, I see how bad you guys are with guns. One bomb can do way better than your guys' shitty shootouts, man. You guys are not great shots, most of you. Killer Burke ain't here yet. Some people are on their Joker shit, some people are on their Riddler shit, you know what I mean? Now, on April 10th of 1928, there was a major political primary. So all of their career, Capone and Torrio were into corrupt politics, labor slugging, ballot stuffing, anything they could do to fix elections. The classics. And the April 10th primaries of 1928 were kind of like the culmination of all the dirty tricks and everything they learned their whole life. Like, this is the election we're going for. And the reason it was so important was they had their guy in place, and then he lost, like, a a fluke loss, and they had to go set up in Cicero, which was, like, a suburb of Chicago. And then they had just got their guy back into place, but now you're getting into the later 20s and... The Roaring Twenties are coming down, and the Depression's starting to hit, and the violence is a lot, and it's not as popular. So now they finally get their guy back in office, and the sentiment changes, and they're looking at bringing in some more, you know, temperance-minded people. And Capone can't have that. You know, he just invested a shitload of money into getting his new system in place. So they go all out in these elections to make sure that they get their way through these primaries. Now, in the six months of campaigning going up to him, James set off over 60 bombs. Like, and he would pick different, like, campaign offices, uh, you know, ballot places, just anywhere, collect, you know, connected to anything voting-related to the opposite party. See, what did I just say? Explosive guys are just always ready to bomb it. He's just, oh, is there an election happening? And he's just always lighting fuses. Some of us just... It's like the grand finale at the end of the fireworks. He's just lighting off everything. (laughs) I mean, that's a good way to keep people from voting because, listen, if something's going on and it's random bombings all over the place, 
Yeah, if I can't mail mine in, I'm going to go ahead and sit this one out. And that's what was happening is a lot of people were just like, you know what? We're just out, period. You know, this voting thing is getting this voting situation is getting real dangerous. And and it's funny because, like you said, it is escalation because Frank Capone, before he died, was known for as being a specialist in fixing elections. But he would like he would stand where you voted. And when you brought your ballot, he'd just look at who you voted for and be like, no, go try again. And. <laughs> That's yeah, one way to do it. it. <laughs> you made a mistake there. Go ahead, turn around, fix your mistake. Come back to me. Yeah, they did more like intimidation. Like there's the implication things can go wrong. With this, there's no implication. It is very explicit. <laughs> there's there's something about the threat of being blown up that really puts a hinder on people's behavior. So his sixty bombs were resulted in the the 60 bombs resulted in 15 deaths. In addition to the bombings, uh, Giuseppe Esposito, who was a 25th Ward committee man, he was killed on the street in front of his house after a day of campaigning in front of his bodyguards. With a bomb? No, he just got killed. Or just in general. Yeah. Okay, I was about to say, you don't blow a man up right in front of his house, right? <laughs> not, not a car bomb, just a regular bomb in the yard. He's walking, and next thing you know, his legs and arms flying all over the place. Yeah, that would be bad. I want to know what the fuck those bodyguards were doing. He got killed right in front of them? Well, what the hell were they doing? Well, that's a pretty big implication. Most people think that the bodyguards set him up or they just killed him. Either way, they were both unharmed and their guns weren't fired. <laughs> so they, oh, I don't know. I was looking that way. He was looking that way. I don't know. We had a weird murder Oreo situation. Uh, who knows? It all happened so quickly. Best case scenario, they were bad at their job because their story was that as soon as they heard shots, they both hit the ground. Like, well, that's okay. Well, even if that's true, that's a terrible bodyguard. Yeah, that's that's not how you it guard is. bodies. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dude, I was just watching a Tommy Boy the other day, and you know the part where he's in uh in Chicago of all places, and he goes in the building and he just goes. Excuse me, this will only take a second. And immediately everybody drops down. The security guards like slide their guns to him. They think he's robbing the bank. When like really he just went out there and just announced something real quick. Those are these bodyguards. They immediately hit the deck, just toss their guns. He actually ended up dying in his wife's arms. Oh, well that really took the steam out of our comedic bits, huh? Yeah, that's terrible. So, yeah, Locke, you could have uh, waited like until all the jokes was over for that. <laughs> for that one. <laughs> I like to throw them at you like a rock. You know? The bodyguards were just standing there. They're like, uh, we're going to go now. And they just slowly walked backwards out of frame. They did that, that Homer Simpson gif where he just slides, <laughs> disappears into the bush. Yep. U.S. Senator Charles Deenan had his front porch blown off with a military-style pineapple grenade. Damn. Nice. And a pineapple grenade sounds like it would be some sort of a festive drink. Like, I would eat that pool, drink that poolside somewhere. It sounds like something you would get in Mardi Gras. Yeah, you know, I was walking down Pervin Street drinking a pineapple grenade. (laughs) Yeah. It sounds like something you would enjoy on your front porch, not blowing up your front porch. (laughs) Right. I guess there, I should have got a picture of them. I didn't get enough pictures. But it's like the old school. They're called a pineapple because of the way they're built. Like those old school grenades are kind of big. And then 
Like, that was his big thing, was he'd use those as a base to make his explosives. <laughs> those are just his base. Pineapple grenades in and of itself. He's like, nah, this is just, I'm going to tweak this. This isn't nothing. He also threw another uh, pineapple grenade bomb in, in the house of state's attorney candidate, John Swanson. Damn, he's just tossing everybody a pineapple. <laughs> I would I would say it's safe to say he has a calling card by this time. <laughs> yeah. You so you didn't even hear the worst part yet. This is the worst story about this primary and it's not related to the bomb. So James didn't do it, but it was just part of this big overarching plan to stump this election that uh, there's this lawyer Octavius Granada and he was an African American that said he thought that the black vote should go to a black candidate. Yes. But part of Big Jim Thompson's platform was the black vote. Capone was like, well, that's actually going to be a problem because that's our part of the vote. So he was chased through the streets on polling day by cars and ended up getting gunned down on the street on polling day just for running for office. Wow. Yeah. I mean, hey, that's one way to eliminate the competition. You can you get rid of the voters by bombing locations, but then also if there's a candidate that you feel like has a chance, then you have to get rid of the candidate, right? Yeah. And it's more than him just right. I think to them it's just, yeah, if you're taking, like, if he was running but he didn't say, like, hey, I'm trying to take this entire block of voters away from you, then maybe it's different. So, like, I don't think he got necessarily killed for running. He got killed because, like, no, you were going to take a block of votes away from... I mean, if they're blowing up all these people, blowing up polling booths and everything to stop people from voting, they're definitely going to kill this one guy to secure, like, a whole giant block of votes. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's a very sad story in this story, but we started off with... 60 bombings, 15 deaths, you know, th- another guy dying in front of, oh, what did he do? Was he a gangster? Like, no, he was like a committee man. But, you know, wrong party, dude. That's all it takes. So the Chicago Crime Commission had listed Bel Castro on its famous public enemies list. And then that whole incident became known as the Pineapple Primary. Damn. It's a good way to call it. As I said, he definitely has a calling card. If people didn't know him before, he put an M.O. out there. So even if you don't know who he is, you can definitely connect a lot of his crimes together. Uh, yeah, now he gets to go down in history for naming a primary. So he always liked to work freelance, and that always worked good for Johnny Torrio and Capone. That was their kind of favorite way of doing business, you know. But eventually Torrio goes out, Capone goes to prison, and by 1931... The Chicago mob is now under new management, and it's back to kill or absorb. And on January 11th, 1931, Bel Castro is shot five times, uh, both in the head and body. Damn, so they decided not to take him with the acquisition, I guess. He did live, though. (laughs) Okay. But I feel like they tried pretty hard, right? Like, I feel yeah, like that you happen to survive, times. but... Yeah, especially head and body, so they were like, you know, they spread it out to make sure they had the better chance of hitting vital organs and things of that sort. 
You well, see, they fucked up. You know the whole live by the sword, die by the sword? They should have got him with a pineapple. <laughs> see? That's where they yep. fucked up. I agree. If they would have tried to blew him up, he'd been dead. I agree. So towards the end of 1931, Belcastro was considered the main suspect in the murder of bootlegger Matt Kolb. This is his uh, kind of his making his bones moment. Because after that, or it might have been the moment where he made his bones. Because after that, throughout the 1930s and 40s, he pretty much just became a regular outfit guy, just working as a regular enforcer. They weren't really doing car bombs. At one point, the mob kind of just outlawed, outlawed car bombs and everything. So that's like being like an um, elevator operator. And then all of a sudden, you know, we get these things where you push a button and elevators move by themselves. So your job is eliminated. Now you just got to work in some dusty office somewhere. This is the mob equivalent of that. <laughs> <laughs> like, we retired your job. We're going to reassign you. <laughs> no, no more cool. bombs. No, no more car bombs. From porches is still cool. <laughs> you can, still, you can just still get infrastructure. Maybe they just, see, maybe they should have just retired pineapple bombs. Right? Like, okay, that's old school. You got to step your game up and, you know, deal with some of this new stuff. You know, the pineapple bombs, that's so, like, 1910. <laughs> exactly. You know? Like, man, we're really having problems with this prosecutor. We could throw a pineapple bomb through his window. <laughs> Dude, it's like, 1943. No, they know no, it's we you. ain't doing that no more. <laughs> right. They know it's you. <laughs> Hey, Bel Castro, what's your drone situation? Exactly. On August 23rd, 1945, James Bel Castro died of heart disease. I mean, that's wow. that's kind of fitting. It, it sounds like a, a pretty painful death, so, you know, it's kind of fitting. <laughs> this serial bomber gets taken out by heart disease is, is like the death equivalent of Al Capone getting arrested for tax evasion. Like, what the fuck is happening? It's crazy. I think it's even worse that before before that, he just steadily had to become like a regular mob guy. What originally they didn't want. You know, at one point in their life, they're like, dude, we got plenty of mob yeah. guys. We, we like that you have a skill set. Now they're like, hey, we can't bomb shit. What are you, fucking crazy? No, just go, go smack somebody around or something. And that's what happened. They took away his passion, and he died of a broken heart. <laughs> I can buy that one. He said, if I can't pineapple bomb anymore, I don't want to live this life. No, I think DC called it. Then they threw him in a cubicle at a desk, and it just it slowly destroyed him on the inside. It just yep. took a man's soul, and he just, just ate him up. So you blow shit up, and it keep you alive, keep you feeling alive. So that's the story of James Bell Castro. So say goodnight to the bad guy. Go on. The last time you're going to see a bad guy like this again, let me tell you. All right. So you guys haven't seen a picture yet, but if we're going to cast a movie about James Bell Castro, who would you cast to play him? I have no idea. I don't remember a description of him. Usually there's some type of description in the beginning, but I don't remember unless I, I just forgot i don't remember an actual description of him no we we didn't get one because i i don't remember okay so just pick an italian guy that i don't know from any movie and <laughs> him <laughs> well see i'm going by like i said earlier with like my general cliche idea of who a bomber is just a weird 
off his rocker, just always ready. Like, I always see him, like, a little bit dirty in my mind and stuff. Just a tiny little wirely, like, like Charlie Day. Like, him. Okay. I don't think you're... Have you seen Horrible Bosses, DC? No. I'm about okay. to look up Charlie Day right now. Oh, I recognize this guy. I don't know what from, but I recognize the picture. Yeah, I definitely can see him as exactly what you described, Dan. But yeah, don't you see him just a tiny, like, a little off his rocker? Like, Let's go blow some shit up kind of a guy. So here's uh, the pictures. I would say that's not too far off. I mean, he's older and a little bit more round around the neck. But yeah. I can see the younger version of him, that Charlie Day character that uh, you talked about there, Dan, as I'm looking at mm -hmm. a picture of him right now. Charlie Day in a little, some fat makeup? Yeah, put a little yeah. turkey neck on him. He looks kind of like Ted Cruz if he was as white as he wished he was. <laughs> <laughs> if James Gandolfini was still alive, I think he, he would play, he, he would be a good one. Right, so now we got to do the DEFCON scale. Standard DEFCON scale is five, is 5 to 1. 5 being the lowest and 1 being the highest. But the Bad Guy podcast, there's no good guys. So 5 would be Lee Murray, who's your drug dealer and kidnapping bank robber. And 1 would be the Purple Gang, who's got multiple gang wars, multiple massacres, and they're killing people on the streets. So on a scale of Lee Murray to the Purple Gang, where would you rate James Bocasto? See, I'm going to let Dan go first because I know Dan's going to give him a five. <laughs> Dan's going to like, I mean, he's not a bad guy. I mean, all of those were contract kills. Yeah, it was like 100 people. But, I mean, it was all business, a five. <laughs> oh, this come from the guy I had to argue with you and Tank because you wanted to give a guy a five because he was picked on when he was little. Hey, that happens That sometimes. was an excuse for him murdering a bunch of people. <laughs> If, if you're a listener to the show, then you just know this scale is really just, it's, it's how we're feeling this day, how drunk we are when the story ends. But, uh, I don't know. I guess I'll give this guy just a, a three. I mean, he was a proficient at what he did, uh, going, going back to DC's unprovoked attacks upon my judgment character. <laughs> he did. He didn't seem all that extra wild and violent but we didn't get a whole lot of personal stuff it just seemed like he was uh i wouldn't say uh, uh your average mobster because he wasn't but in terms of just yeah he went out there he did his mobster thing they wanted him to blow people up he did it with no regard and he lived out his life in the mob kind of so i mean really i didn't three i guess i just go middle ground I love the I love that with this show we're all just now so dead inside that you just literally said, you know, and then he lived his little he lived his mobster life, you know, like well, yeah, that the, the mobster life of killing people and bullshit. Killing people. Well, I didn't give him a five, motherfucker. I said he killed people. He was proficient at killing people, but that's what I'm saying. Like when I say he lived his mob life, I mean like he wasn't a good guy. He was told to kill people. And he followed those orders through and he did what he needed to do. But I mean, like I said, it didn't seem like he was excessive or nothing to be like a one or a two. So whatever. Fuck you guys. You guys. Death out of them. <laughs> so, DC, what do you think? I'm going to go with a two. And this is what's funny. The only thing that keeps him from a one for me is actually the Dan rule. 
him being a bomber and everything, and it seems like these were all just contract kills, not an emotional thing. Don't hear about him torturing people, some of that stuff. It's just like, listen, I'm just going to blow you up for whatever this contract is. That's the only reason why I don't give him a one. He definitely has the amount of bodies to get a one, but it just doesn't seem like he was that, you know, deranged type of, well, of course, the act is deranged, but I think for him it was more of that soldier carrying out the mission, non-emotional type of deal, and I think that drops him to a two for me even though, you know, he has hundreds of bodies out there. But it was a tough one. I think Dan rubbed off on me. Had it been anybody else on this episode, I probably would have gave him a one. But uh, now Dan, you know, since he adjusted from his five up to a three, I felt compelled to go from my one down to a two. You know, compromise. (laughs) I appreciate it. I appreciate it, you know. I mean, I feel like we're all at this like a political table here trying to work it out because that's because he went three, you went two. I was leaning towards one, but then I thought, well, shit, maybe I'm way off. So this is like the no, emperor's new clothes all... or whatever. So Dan's we're, rubbing we're... off on us. Yeah. <laughs> well, so I'm gonna call him a DefCon two, which is gonna make him a DefCon two. But my so my reasoning is that the bombs are a little bit more inherently violent because you get the innocent victim thing. And there's a certain part of, uh, amount of grossness to that. True. That's something that I was kind of thinking originally. But I'm going to go with a DEFCON 2. You know, before you hit that button, I just want to say that you're, you're arguing, now that you brought that up, that honestly did bring me around. I will go, like, not only compromise, I, I will say he's legitimate, I would say too. Because I wasn't bringing that up because... Like, like my Dan rule overly like violent being me. One of the parts is you keep it in house. If you're killing other mob members, that's like whatever. But when you take out innocent people and yeah, as soon as you brought that up, yeah, that was a lot more reckless, a lot more dangerous, a lot. There was a lot more to there. So see, stop making me go first. You guys, you make me sound so stupid, but this is what I do want to say. I think so far season three, I don't want to hear no more. Oh, cover more ones and cover more violent guys. Like we covering some like CIA assassins and bombardiers and shit. Like, yeah, but yeah, but they're all three. <laughs> Are you not because, entertained? No, because our our scale has changed. We we have covered so many killers now that you can do the worst crime. We'll be like, ah, let's give them a three. <laughs> Well, I remember distinctly the first one I did with Tone, we got to the DEFCON, and it was, fuck, I forgot who it was, but he was literally, like, one of the most violent dudes we got, and Tone was like, I'm gonna give him a two, because, like, he didn't chop nobody's head off or nothing, so, like, goddamn, that's what we're going with. Yeah, that's If you don't decapitate someone, you can't be a one? Like, what the fuck? We also have heard so many stories to your point if we covered this guy in episode 12 we might have been like it's the worst guy we ever heard of right exactly you know and now we're like whatever <laughs> how many women did he throw through a window none right. sounds a lot better of a dude now all of a sudden doesn't he like yeah you don't like his line of work but come on right did he ever throw a woman through a window and then beat up a cop son in front of him no it's not a bad guy 
Not a bad. <laughs> nope, guy. he just lived his little mob life. That's all he did. <laughs> Take it to DEFCON 2. You heard that, gentlemen? DEFCON 2. Before we leave DC, tell them about Fat Boy MMA, our other podcast that me and you do. Hey, you finally reminded me for once. Uh, yeah. So, of course, Locke and I do, uh, as you know from my many references on here, where every time there's an opportunity to talk about an actor, instead I talk about an MMA fighter that can play the actor, even though he's not an actor, right? They can play the mob guy. So, uh, Locke and I are huge uh, MMA fans, and so we started a podcast called Fat Boy MMA, where we kind of... Uh, you know, just shoot the shit about different things that's going on. We talk about some current events, but we also talk about things that we feel like nobody else is talking about in MMA. And actually, in uh episode we got coming up, we actually had the Duke on there for the first time. So that episode should be out not this week. Well, I don't know when this is actually coming out, but from whenever this comes out, it'll probably be within a week of each other. Uh, coming out the episode with the Duke on it. And that is FatboyMMA.com. It was an honor to speak out of my ass to a whole new audience. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this is Say Hello to the Bad Guy. Thanks for coming, and thanks for listening. Hello to the bad guy, the good guy coming last place. Smell that dope when I pass by. I let my money at a fast pace. Say hello to the bad guy, the good guy coming last place. Smell that dope when I pass by. I let my money at a fast pace. We was down bad. To be dead, spent my birthdays in the trap. We had to work with what we had. She been working on a raise while trying to raise me like a man. Plus, my daddy in the box and all my cousins in the cam. And, and I don't need a hundred friends, I just want a hundred bands, a hundred jokes, a hundred scams. Ay, ay. So, I don't money grabbed a hundred hams. So I don't money grabbed a bunch of And bands. I ain't wanna fall victim to that system or the business. Fuck a judge with a grudge. I'm blowing crud for my mental ay, ay. And I still keep it on me. Run into your big homie. First you meet your dead homie. Ay. Yeah. Say hello to the bad guy. Ay. The good guy coming last place. Smell that dope when I pass by. Ay. I like my money at a fast pace. Say hello to the bad guy. And her ass fake And she in love with the bad guy But bad bitches never act right She act up into that bag fly I did a turn around in one night Say hello to the bad guy The good guy coming last place You smell that dope when I pass by I let my money at a fast pace Say hello to the bad guy Smell the dope when I pass by